This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Hey everyone. So this week, my guest is someone that I actually met over in London, but we've only met virtually. We both live in London though. So it's Paul DiGregorio and he's a digital mobilization strategist and the founder of Rally. So I kind of gave it away, Paul, which I shouldn't have done, but where am I talking to you from? <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm London, specifically I was back North London and really specifically the bedroom that I converted into a study before the pandemic happened. So yeah, I'm it's- in London. Nice. So did you actually, you got that ready before the pandemic? Yeah, I don't know. I had this kind of foreboding, like maybe I just could, I could sense that it was going to happen. I like in just before Christmas in 2019, I decided rather than rent a space, I was going to turn my back bedroom into a study and I bought a big desk and put in shelves and my goodness me is, am I happy that I did that? Yeah, that's kind of like, there's those, those people who plan, what are they called? Were they like, pack like a warehouse full of like supplies and stuff, you know, <laughs> but you just did that with like office stuff, furniture. Yeah, right? I completely like, I mean, I'm not going to say that I have any sense of prediction on catastrophic global events, but like, I'm, I'm just super glad I did it. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. You would have been waiting for a desk for like five months yeah, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, so basically I introduced you as a digital mobilization strategist. So I am a marketing person and I kind of know that's even vague to say, but can you tell me specifically what that area is digital mobilization strategy. Yeah, definitely. I suppose a definition is a good place to start. When I'm talking to potential clients or partners, I, I kind of give the definition of mobilization as the action of organizing or encouraging groups of people to take like collective action in pursuit of specific objectives. And I suppose when I transfer that into the work that I do, like putting it really simply, that's I help charities, campaign groups, some political parties figure out how they can engage the public at scale and a scale that drives the change that they want to, they exist to deliver. And then like super specifically, that means for the work that I do, kind of operating at the intersection of everything public facing from an organisation. So the brand team, the communications team, the advocacy team, the fundraising teams, to help them kind of come up with strategies or approaches that give people the opportunity to do things using their time or their money or their voice, as opposed to like Mm -hmm. the fundraising team just wanting money or the comms team just looking to drive advocacy actions. It's trying to bring all those things together and recognize that people maybe don't just fit into the neat boxes that organizations create in their departments. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And when you look at like your education or early career, did you start out just doing some general form of marketing or did you just evolve into? I was kind of a late starter. I I mean, I'm I'm 50 years old. I moved to London when I was 26. And prior to that, I was doing a whole bunch of like factory jobs. I worked in a pub. I worked in a record shop. I used to put on club nights and do music type things. But my first job was at an agency that did lots of political fundraising. And I think it was that first job that really made me realise, it was for the Labour Party, and it made me realise that when you're talking to people, you can't just talk to them like they're just a donor or just a campaigner. Like, 
they're probably lots of the things that we think they are. Yeah, and, and that's, I feel lucky that I had that experience at the beginning of my career. Mm. I'm absolutely rinsing it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and speaking of working for labor at first, you've done a lot of work with like a really wide variety of nonprofit and social activist organizations. And just I'll just name a few that I'm going to read out, but basically ACLU, Amnesty International, Cancer Research, Research UK, Greenpeace, the Labor Party you mentioned, Refuge, Stonewall, and that's just to name a few. And actually, I did a show last year and donated to Refuge just after meeting you yeah. and, and learning about them. So you got me mobilized there. But I mean, for me, like as someone who on this podcast, I talk a lot about service. I think that's one of the most important things people can do, no matter what they do. Otherwise, it's really admirable. And so thanks for all that work. But also, like, do you remember why you got involved or how you got involved with charity or political action organizations in the first place, other than your first job? Yeah. It's a great question. And so many, so many things spring to mind. I like, I don't think I've ever felt of it as a career. And I don't want to sound all grandiose about it, but like, I've just always known I wanted to do this type of work without really understanding what type of work was available when I was younger. I think there's definitely a sense of, and I'm sure lots of people have got this in their own personal stories, but that kind of sense of uh, early memories of like injustice or things that weren't quite right or quite fair. And, you know, I'm, I'm the son of an immigrant. My father came to this country when he was really young from Southern Italy. So I've always had that kind of sense of like, they came from quite a poverty stricken background. They came here for new, for kind of a new beginning, but that maybe they weren't necessarily accepted in a way that I just thought as a kid they should be. You know, my mm. grandfather didn't really speak English very well and we were different when it came to family traditions and things like that. So it kind of marked out as different and not always in a positive way. But also, like, I'm like I'm 50 years old and like, I, I, for the first God knows how long of my life, we were, this country was being ruled by Margaret Thatcher and the Conservative mm. government, which is quite a tricky time. And they're like... I can remember TV images of the miners' strike and like unemployment and poverty and all of these things. It just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's just there's a sense that stuff was being done to the population, which they really couldn't do very much about. And then I just I have really inspiring images of like the miners' strike or people standing up for themselves, whether it would be those strikes or you know. When I was a kid, the whole kind of South African apartheid regime was on the telly every night. And it was just like horrific to see that people were being persecuted for no yeah. clear reason. It's just so yeah, all of those kind of things come together. And I like I think actually with Violent Apartheid, I remember I've got a really vivid memory of going to see the film Cry Freedom, the kind of probably late 80s was the, the story of Stephen Biko in South Africa. And this really vivid memory of going to the field with my mates and then coming out, and there being these really cool people outside the cinema handing out leaflets and like mm. act, being activisty and like trying to encourage people after watching the film to do something else. Yeah. And I'm just like, I think that was probably the first time I was probably, I don't know how old I was, 15, 16, 17 years old, just realized that there were people who were actually doing something about it, not just mm. worrying about it, which I was probably spending a lot of time just worrying about things. <laughs> As teenage boys do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you were worrying about different things and sounds like a lot of teenage boys do, but I think that, I mean, that resonates with me and makes sense to me just because I'm even thinking 
when you were talking about that, I thought there's a whole generation of kids now who are growing up, at least I'm from the States. And so seeing people stand up for their rights over and over, and it happens here too, but I'm more intimately familiar with what's going on over there. And, and just those images probably of like black lives matter now, and even women, which is insane having to stand up for rights again, but I can imagine that's probably there's some kid or kids that are just kind of definitely doing the same now. Right. When I think about this, I, I think that culture and media and art and all of those things have such a huge part to play. Like my earliest memories of all this are what was seeing on the six o'clock news. Mm-hmm. And those really inspiring images. I'm just, as we're talking, I can just remember there was just like, when I was a kid, there were riots in the UK, in Liverpool, mm-hmm. in Brixton, and in Bristol, close to where I was living in the southwest of England. And I just remember thinking, you know, these are people, I mean, maybe I just wasn't thinking that like, this is terrible, this is rioting. It was just really compelling for me to see people stand up for themselves, which I just, mm-hmm. you know, on your podcast, I'm not going to advocate, be an advocate of rioting, but like it was direct action, which was resulting in people taking notice of stuff, which I just, I've always been fascinated by, always interested in. Yeah. Well, did you just thinking about your upbringing as far as your parents and I, my father, I didn't know him for a huge amount of time, but I became more aware later on in my life. Like, you know, he was the first generation in the U S and there's something about looking at yourself and being really grateful for where you are because someone else did something hard to get there, you know? And did you, is there any influence of your parents and other than you having the knowledge of what they went through, maybe that influenced on you like to take action or was it really just something you did? My Italian grandmother, who I always got the sense was the driving force behind them leaving Southern Italy and coming to the UK after the war, because I've been back since I can see where they used to live, how they used to live and all those things. I can really get a sense that it was, it was a really big thing for them to make that move, you know, and in like, post-Brexit Britain, that's kind of frowned upon that people move borders to like make a better life for themselves. And, you know, they did it. I mean, I, I found my grandfather's immigration papers recently and it's, it's like entitled the alien act of 1920 something, or it's just this weird language that was used. But like, I always got the sense she was the real driving force. She was very opinionated on lots of things. She didn't like Margaret Thatcher very much. <laughs> All the Italian cuss words that I learned was listening to her start <laughs> ranting whenever Maggie was on the telly. There was just a, just a different perspective, I think, which I, and I really, I do look, look back to her quite a lot and just think if the social justice warrior in our family was probably, was probably her. Huh, that's funny. And then, and then your early experiences of cursing were just all political cursing basically political cursing in a foreign language that i didn't truly understand <laughs> brilliant um, always followed up by a big cheesy smile from her afterwards when she'd realized she'd said a really bad word that was like the signal yes you heard correctly yes so i mean i've gotten a feel for why you've gone in this space you have but still like with your the skills that you've built up and just with being able to mobilize people and do like kind of i would say like some guerrilla marketing kind of efforts and some other ones and the fact that a lot of brands and stuff want this just in in brands that aren't related to activism or fundraising or whatever. How did you decide then you were going to take that and just focus your career on it versus go make the money somewhere else and then come back over here and do stuff as a volunteer? I fluked it, to be honest. That agency I was talking about earlier on that I ended up working in London. So I was in, I was back, I was in the West Country 
there was a recession. There were there were lots and lots of crap jobs going on. I was that kind of character. I never really wanted to move to London and do that thing of like kind of the streets of London are paved with gold. I never really believed in any of that. But just I think through necessity and a bit of a lack of direction, I thought, well, I'll give, I'll give London a go. And I was lucky enough that my mate worked at this agency and their biggest client was the Labour Party. So in September 96, I rocked up in London and got a job at this agency in the post room, like basically stuffing envelopes and sending it to people who'd said they'd make donations to the Labour Party or other charities that we work with. And that's just the energy around that time around Labour because they were just about to yeah. win this general election in 97. And, and I, I've got a very vivid memory of the election night party in that in that agency. Everyone was so excited and it went on all night and it was just wild. And so I think I just kind of managed to fluke that. So I came to London to find work. My mate set me up with this job, where a place he was working at, doing this fundraising thing. And I just thought, oh my God, you can actually be a really like activist for the Labour movement or the Labour Party or these other causes that I was really interested in and make money from it. And given that my background prior to that was doing shitty jobs in pubs and all that sort of stuff, it was actually like, oh my God, there is a career, there's like a career path, which I don't think, you know, I had no idea when I was at school talking to careers people that there was this path you could take, which was about helping charities and progressive groups do their do their thing and then I just wanted it so I just worked hard so I started in the, the kind of mail room and I ended up quite a few years later but I ended up being the client services director for that organization just working through all the different jobs in the structure until I was like responsible for all of the client relationships and all of the campaigns and all of the activity across a kind of client base of probably 20 to 30 charities I just and I've never thought about doing anything else you know what I mean I like money we all like money but I don't feel like I need piles of money that I won't ever use. So I've just stuck with this. I get really frustrated about this kind of, and it's my bad, it's like my problem, like, but I don't want to sell chips or Doritos or cigarettes to children or any of that. It's just like, it doesn't feel like there's any point to me and recognize it's because of my background and where I come from. I just, someone's got to do it, I suppose, but I don't want to do it. So I've just made my peace with, like what I um, got enough for cat food to keep the cat happy. <laughs> <laughs> Still buying records and yeah, go on a holiday every now and again. So I'm I'm like super happy. And to be honest, if I ended up at an interview at one of those jobs, I think they would smell my rabid anti-capitalism across the interview table and not really <laughs> think I was the right person to help sell Doritos or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and it is tricky. I mean, just I've been a consultant for a little while now and working with different clients and some projects i just have been like oh i hope i don't get that or i hope i don't get that or something because you just don't want to be involved in certain things and even working for a corporation one of them i worked for our biggest like revenue came from this from rush limbaugh the conservative radio talk show host that's the nicest thing i can say about him too i'm surprised i didn't curse but and it felt gross you know, so it's kind of nice to be able to work with organizations that reflect at least something that you care about or aren't yeah. bothered by anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I like, and I, 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 I'm, I'm sometimes quite reticent to talk about it because I understand that in society we all need to make a living, and we all, you know, not everyone can follow this path of being lucky enough to be able to work in a kind of sector which 
is also like maybe defines part of their personal outside of work self. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I t- totally recognize that I come from that position and I don't see things in the way that everyone necessarily sees it. But I just feel really super lucky and blessed to be able to to do that yeah no it's cool and and for the people who can't do that and even i don't do that but like then you can do other things i think part of it is just people can see like maybe someone does a similar role to mine in marketing or something but oh there's ways you can help organizations outside and we've talked about that personally right because i've gone to you more in a mentor capacity and that's how we met was because i was trying to figure out what the hell i'm doing you know but so then you started rally so can you explain what rally is yeah, I I worked at a whole bunch of agencies, like as I've alluded to, and I think mean, I got to the place about maybe probably about four years ago that I was, I don't know, just I, I really wanted to grow my personal impact mm. without sounding like a an egotistical maniac. And I could see that when the, in the sectors that I work, they're kind of in any sector. There's like problems and challenges, and there's an establishment way of doing things. There's kind of the kind of the guru type people in a sector. There's just a whole bunch of just blur in any sector. And I was like, I'm just getting a bit tired of it, a bit bored of it. And I really passionately believe in this mobilization approach, which is we bring all the things that someone can do together into a public facing kind of communications approach. And give people the choice on how they participate in the work that we do. And I was just struggling to get traction with those ideas. Like at the agency I was working at, there's like the people who ran that agency were amazing. I think they really appreciated the thinking I was doing around this stuff, but I don't think it quite fitted into how that organization needed to work. And I suppose I'm again with privilege because I, I I could. I I just thought rather than be that miserable person that just sits in a place like being a bit of a mood hoover and not like being positive and progressive about stuff that I should just leave and put my own money where my own mouth was and try and do something. So I set up rally, which is, which is at the core it's me, but what I love about rally and what I've always wanted to do with rally is is to build a really kind of shit hot network of experts in loads of different fields around around rally. So we have this kind of this thing called the rally network, which is people I love working with or want to work with, like in this Slack group. And we all like share briefs and ideas and potential work opportunities with each other. We form collaborations and like I can bring people in on rally projects, which means I don't have to build this thing with loads of people and structure and different teams, it means when faced with a like a client challenge or problem, I can go and find the people who are best placed to fix that problem with them rather than having to kind of cram that problem into the structure of this thing that I've set up. And that's why I quite like that kind of flexibility. And so what we, we fundamentally do mainly, our core thing is, organizations that want to adopt a mobilization approach or believe in it or want to know more about it we help them build that within their organizations both from a strategic perspective like how do you change and how do you think to a kind of delivery perspective how do you actually define creative approaches and buy ads and sign people up and what do you ask Mm -hmm. them to do that sort of stuff yeah well, it sounds like then one thing that's important for you is what I've always found to be like a difficult word, but is networking and just, yeah. but in a way that, I don't know, I think 
I was talking to some, some students recently that I do like a mentor thing with and just, they were saying they have trouble networking and, and it feels weird to them and stuff. And I've, I've always felt the same way. Like I've never liked networking. I always feel like it's just kind of these surface level conversations with random people just to try to make connections. But it sounds like you've developed a way of networking that's different and meaningful. And so can you talk a little bit about how maybe you've evolved, how you build personal relationships in that way or professional ones? I sometimes I struggle talking about myself in a kind of positive way. I think a lot of people do that, but I've been asked this a few times before because there is a perception, I think, in my net in my network in the community that I sit that I am good at that. And it's like I am just so inquisitive. <laughs> like if I see a thing that it looks amazing, I've just got I don't have the kind of fear of being rejected by that person. If I if I email them or send them a Twitter message or whatever, like if I see something cool and I think it's cool, I'm I'm always doing it. It's like just firing off an email saying, "Oh my god, I saw you did this thing. I'd love to know more about it. If, like, can we talk about it?" Or even just, a, "I saw you do this thing. I've got nothing to add. It's just brilliant. Can we connect in LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever or these places?" Because I genuinely believe that if I was just like locked into the sector I'm in like the UK, I mean, you could argue that the sector I started in was the UK charity sector, like fundraising, but I really work hard to stretch my like points of inspiration way beyond that narrow band sector. So I get really excited by technologists doing amazing things with technology, get excited by like campaigners on the ground, grassroots people who develop new techniques. And I just talk to them just be respectful like if if they can share and I've, 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 I'm honestly so blessed to have met some incredible people like people that when I was like I don't know living in Somerset all those years ago I just never dreamed that I would end up having conversations with heavyweight kind of UK politicians about things to do with their campaigns or really inspiring activists and campaigners doing amazing work mm. I just never thought that would happen so I just feel blessed that I, I don't have any shame when it comes to reaching out to people. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think too, like, at least my experience has been that you also, if someone reaches out to you, you respond. Yeah. And 100%. yeah. And I think oh. that's super yeah. important. And respond. without any doubt, like people ask me for five minutes. Sometimes I wish I could find a way to say no, to be honest. Cause like yeah. it, it's very time consuming, but I don't think I've ever said, no to somebody who maybe seen me speak at a thing or read something that I've written and do to me what I know I do to others like it would be a massive dick move to just mm-hmm. not engage so I always do yeah yeah and I've for me I've tried to be better about that like sometimes I get overwhelmed I'll have like 10 emails and not I don't have a bunch of people trying to meet with me but actually I get a lot of just weird solicitations for random people to be on the podcast or something but I just go, okay, I'll answer them in a couple of days when I have time and then I can actually answer. And I think there's a weird pressure people put on themselves to like answer everything immediately. But I think you can answer in a couple of days and it's yeah, fine. Totally. So right now, what causes, and there's a lot going on. There's been a lot, there's been a lot going on for people who care, but what causes are you most passionate about right now? God, there are so many in there. I mean, I suppose with Rally, I'm in this fortunate position because I run it from a, in a professional level. I can I can mix my personal passions and my professional my professional life, so I get to choose who we work with and can like go and find the people to work with who like match up with what I re- I'm really interested in. I, I find personally, just 
inequality, injustice, other kind of, I just, I, I, it never fails to kind of move me to some form of rage, just the, like, the, 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 the randomness of persecuting a certain type of person just for what they believe in or who they are and that type of thing. So I, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with refugee and migrant rights space in the LGBTQ plus space and fortunate to work with like refuge domestic abuse I just think is a horrific part of our society and just it's a dream client to be able to work with refuge on their on their campaigns and their strategies to a fund the work that they do at b bring people close to like take the actions that are needed to eradicate that from society it's just like I feel like really lucky but also working with like Stonewall and Mermaids in the LGBTQ plus space and organisations like Praxis, a, a refugee and migrant rights charity and Joint Council for Welfare and Immigrants, another amazing charity that does incredible work in that space. And I mean, these are the like real like areas that I am spending time. And I mean, I think personally, where I, I'm not working, I just find food poverty, one of the most mm-hmm. bizarre things to exist in our society. So I think that put personal money and energy into that sort of those sorts of um, causes. Yeah. I had a guest recently, Philip Simon. He's a UK comedian and he did just online Zoom shows for kids during the lockdown time and and did a a children's book. And so he donates all the profits to Fair Share. Oh, cool. Yeah, Yeah. which is cool. And I hadn't heard of them, but I just, we talked a lot about it. I mean, he's someone who during lockdown, like his career was gone for a minute, you know, because, or for 18 months or whatever, but then he chose still to take what he was earning and give it. And I thought that was pretty Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed too, is you're very active on social media and on LinkedIn, which I love personally for me. Like I, I watch it. I mean, I kind of do stuff with my comedy that I get away with, but I watch it otherwise just because I get worried, I guess what people think, but how, how do you manage that? I don't think you post anything that wild, but you know, some people might come after you or me if I did it. So how do you kind of deal with that? I'm just curious. I don't really know. It's, it's, um, I've always really enjoyed those platforms, like linked to what we were talking about earlier in terms of that networking. I think they're incredible spaces. There's a lot of negativity around social media, and I totally get it. But I've I've also just seen these huge positive impacts of just being able to chat with people. That I couldn't just meet down the purple on the street, so I can talk to people in the States and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I've always just watched people carefully curate their brand in these spaces and I just I don't know I think that's just really dull and whilst I I'm you know honestly there's a certain element of curation that I do because I I don't want to bring my whole self to those spaces like there's we've all got things that you know we don't we don't want to talk about we don't want to kind of highlight in terms of things that are going on in our lives but wherever possible I just like if you think about Twitter I just like I break Twitter down I've got these different like pots in my head of like I'm really into graffiti. So there's my graffiti Twitter, really into music. So there's like this music bit of Twitter. There's this work Twitter thing of campaigning, fundraising, mobilization, all that sort of stuff. I like cats. There's like this, 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 this like, so I can't just in Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, just be this one dimensional digital mobilization nerd. Cause that's not real. Like I am this person who does all these other things. So I just try and mix it up and talk about all these stuff bits and bobs but then if I feel really compelled or I've got a point to make on something I just think that's also part of me and so I I like to try and encourage people to 
to do something like yeah so if i feel really passionate about it i'll speak up about it but only really where i think i can have impact i've been told by a couple of people actually well especially when i worked for an, for an organization it's like oh my goodness what do your bosses think about your twitter because because sometimes you can be a bit larry and i honestly never thought about it before i was just like yeah. i'm gonna have to confess to a never having thought about it before and b not giving too much of a shit either because yeah. like that's my space on the internet and just as i can get a job through my opinions i suppose i've always been at peace well with losing a job because of my opinions because that would kind of say something about the environment that i was in and thankfully i've never lost <laughs> a job based on my opinions though come close once <laughs> that's yeah i mean and i won't i won't make you say what that is but uh yeah that just the I, this is when i wish people could see a podcast sometimes and they could if i didn't if i took time to edit video but the look on your face was really great there almost <laughs> <laughs> i like yeah. it so one thing you kind of just you mentioned was just you know if you post about things that maybe you can have an impact on and maybe other people will take action. And so for me, service is one of my core values. And one reason I do this podcast and I do this podcast kind of as a way to serve others, to encourage them to do whatever it is they want to do personally or professionally. And then also in comedy, that's even kind of a service in a way with making people laugh when I do a good job. But, and then I do a lot of charity work and I know how I've had to like work hard to fit all that in for me. And you are, working professionally in nonprofit space, but also I think in your probably outside of there, you do, do a lot. Yeah. And so first of all, cause someone might hear you and go, and this is what people do. Oh, I could never do what he does. He's doing so much, whatever. And they just kind of use that as an excuse to do nothing. <laughs> and what do you think about, like, do you think everybody could have an impact if they want? And, and what are ways you think people could? I, I absolutely think that we can all have an impact. I think without wanting to sound like, a kind of conspiracy theorist, I think we're kind of encouraged not to take action, like by government and politicians and the establishment in whatever sector we work in and all those different types of things, because, you know, there are a lot of us when it comes to like people. I'm utterly convinced that as as as, as individuals and as communities, we sometimes don't recognise what power we've actually got. And you don't have to be taken to the streets and manning the barricades and all that sort of stuff to have an impact. Small things, if enough people do small things, add up. That's the fundamentals of organizing is like, how do you, how do you, how do you identify where the power sits in, the, in whatever issue you're looking to change? Who influences those people who've got power? And then you start to establish the, the steps that you can take on an individual or collective basis to to affect it, to kind of drive change with those people. So, I mean, there's been so much going on in this country recently, but I really have been taking it upon myself to encourage people who've got a view about the political system, specifically how Boris Johnson has been behaving about parties and all this other stuff, is to take the time and write to your elected representative because they take notice. And one person writing to an MP doesn't achieve anything. But if lots of people start writing to those MPs, and it's not one of those cut and paste, hit go letter to MP type campaigns, which are useful at times, but it's not one of those, but it's a individually crafted message from citizen one to elected representative two, 
they notice and they get spooked by it and then they start to respond to it and i just think we can do those things we all choose who we buy from we all choose the kind of media outlets that we consume and like we can make choices about who we buy from where we watch telly what newspapers we buy and all that sort of stuff so i'm just like 100 convinced that as citizens we have this power that we don't sometimes realize which is why i think i put I mean, Rally, I, we put a lot of effort into trying to prove to people that they've got power and then equip them or work with them alongside them to give them confidence, skills, resources to use their power in the most effective way. And that doesn't sound like arrogant. I don't want to be like teaching people, but I'd love to kind of show people the impact of the, the, the actions that they could take and the power that they've got, which is, you know, quite a wordy response, but I, I really passionately believe that's the thing that drive it. So a small action, a massive action, that it's all actions, better than sitting on your ass and just moaning about it. Yeah, that could be the episode title too. Yeah. Better than sitting on your ass, just moaning about it. We might yeah. have one. <laughs> Every time I say that though, I find a different one, but I might stick with it this time. No, I, I 100% agree. And I think definitely making conscious efforts not to use certain at least when possible, not to use certain vendors, for example, and to procure things from different places is is just a really an action anyone can do. So I personally think that the work you're doing, some of it can be kind of emotionally charged and, and difficult, especially when, I don't know. I mean, just a lot of people talk about just fatigue they've had with news, just as regular people who just watch it and, or, or with organizations, do you experience like anything, any emotion around it? And then how do you kind of deal with that? So it's not carrying over into home all the time. Definitely can get that kind of emotional response to things. I think sometimes I worry that because this is the, where I work, I see a lot of things and read a lot of stories and see, just consume a lot of kind of stories of, of the problem or the impact of the problem or the outputs of the of the problem and you know absolutely from time to time something really really cuts through the whatever shield you put up and gets you but i think that's good like mm-hmm. it needs to be more than just a job if you're not moved to tears of anger or sadness or frustration at times then i don't think you could be kind of bringing the energy to it but i'm also and increasingly i'd say the last five or six years very very aware that it's not just me doing this work there are a lot of people doing this work Mm -hmm. so taking a break from it is not a bad thing Mm -hmm. and recharging and re-energizing is a good thing to do and i don't think i'll be i don't think in my early 30s i quite read that manual and but definitely now and I'm about to say things which make me sound like some kind of lifestyle guru. Believe me, I am not. Like I I try to get out of London. I try to go for walks. I try to have those moments where I'm drawing or reading or listening to music and doing all of those things. But invariably, you know, probably quite often I'm probably working at a weekend when I shouldn't be working and all that sort of stuff. But I think recognizing it and then taking active steps to kind of acknowledge it and confront it is really like really super important. Because I think burnout, I mean. I'm really aware that, I mean, I'm sat in these Zoom environments five, six days a week talking to people who've lived through a pandemic, like we've all lived through a pandemic, all the other shit that's going on. It's just like a lot of tired people out there. Do you know what I mean? We all need to delete the apps off our phone and go for a long walk. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think coming out of the pandemic, I, I don't know. I didn't feel that prepared for it. 
in the yeah. end. And I still feel like I'm kind of, you know, some days go, well, I'd rather just stay in here, but I have no reason because I wanted to go outside for so long. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I don't know about you, but there's like in this post-pandemic world, I'm like in the pandemic, it was Zoom, it was sitting at the desk, it was working, it was working. I now have to plan like in real life meetings with a lot more notice than I've ever had to before because I can look at my diary and see, well, I've got all those Zoom calls splattered through the week. There's no time to actually get into town and get out again to to do the to do the work, which is just strange. I mean, Londoners don't need an excuse to bin off social engagements very often anyway, but my goodness me, the this whole post-pandemic <laughs> kind of experience has certainly added to it. Yeah, exactly. Someone just to say, "Oh, I sneezed today. I won't be there." And you're like, "Okay, yeah, don't come." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Definitely. And then, do you have any? So you mentioned music, which and and I think I think it was during this we talked about like buy records and stuff. But what do you have outside of work that kind of charges you and and that you love that you want to talk about? Of course. Yeah, I like drawing. It sounds quite. I don't, I've never really spoken about this before, actually. So excuse my hesitation, but it's like I I love making marks on paper. So I've I've just got like loads of notebooks. I've got loads of pens. I've got scissors and magazines and print sticks, and I just like just making, just really getting into something, and just like drawing or writing or scribbling or doodling or cutting and pasting. I just feel. It just take it. I'm just concentrating on that and nothing else. I absolutely love doing it. Like when I left the last job I had, which was the, uh, an agency, this kind of brilliant agency that I'd been at for about five or six years, I left the, that place with nowhere to go next. I just wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had a kind of bit of a crisis of confidence when I'd left. It was just like, oh my God, like I've left. I actually did it. Like now what? I signed up for a, a week's course at Central St. Martin's in King's Cross. And the course was called Experimental Printmaking. It was just a random selection. I just like, I'll do that course for a week. And this incredible tutor in this week, and there were about 10 or 15 other people doing the course, this brilliantly brilliant studio at the art college there. And he just taught us all these different techniques and taught I think me that not to not to worry about making that mark on the piece of paper but just to do it and if you don't like it chuck it and I just honestly it was the best thing I've ever done in my life I just tried to keep that moving which is I enjoyed doing that week because I wasn't thinking about work I learned some stuff and just carry on in that kind of vein oh that's amazing that's really cool yeah that's really great and Paul I've learned a lot and I'm sure listeners will have learned a lot from this, but do you have any sort of advice or mantra that you just want to share that, that you like to follow? I know it's weird to give people advice on a non-specific subject. Yeah. Sometimes when I write, I rant, I rant, right. And I wrote this kind of list of things that one, one should do like, like, and it was quite a fun thing to do. And I stuck it up on medium and it got loads of, well, for me, loads of like likes and interactions on it. And it's like things like, it was a real rant, but it was like, you know, recognize that you're a work in progress. None of us are complete. We're all learning. None of us know everything. Be open to new ideas. Be happy to change your opinion, which I think lots of people struggle with. I know that when I learned that it was okay to change my opinion, I felt better about stuff. Yeah. Give credit to others. It's a big thing. And I think so many people just like sit and bask in the glory of the work of the team. But like, seriously, if you want to share power share the credit that's the only way that i think 
we all move on, don't be a dick. Like, <laughs> it's like we all know when we're being awkward, just don't do it. And I think really a big one for me, actually, I was talking to someone about this very, very recently, and it really resonated was like, go where the energy is, don't waste don't waste your time. Don't waste a second of your time in a situation or or with people maybe who are a bit of a mood suck. It's like mm. just not helpful. <laughs> Remove yourself from those mood sucky situations as quick as you can. And, and you can't get out of all of them. Like life is life. But we all know we can remove ourselves from some of those situations a bit quicker than we probably do. So like, yeah, focus on progressive stuff, not looking back and being miserable. Nice. Those are, those are great. So now I just have the fun five. It's a standard set of questions. I ask everybody. It's supposed to be fun. We'll see how fun it is. It's fun for me. What's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? I have the sickest t-shirt from, uh, that is a football club in Southern Italy, Naples, Napoli, the kind of football club. I've had this t-shirt for my goodness me. It is so baggy. It is so washed out. And I've only very recently retired it. Like I've stopped wearing it recently, but there's no way I'm throwing that t-shirt away. It's just got, like when I talk about my immigrant identity and all that sort of thing, it's like wearing this Napoli badge proud, even though I've never ever been into the stadium, but I'm going to, I'm going to change that. But yeah, it's just, I get disapproving looks from people when they see me wearing it, but I don't care. (laughs) Perfect. All right. And then during, well, during the lockdown time, it, this is where this question derived from, but I still think it can, it can apply. It felt like Groundhog's Day. So like in the movie where Bill Murray woke up to the same song every morning. So if it really was Groundhog's Day at some point, what song would you have wake you up every morning? two, Two songs sprang into my mind, right? One is my favorite song ever which is a track called Unfinished Sympathy by Massive Attack. I just love it. It's beautiful. Love that song. But the other thing that popped into my head then was Shut Up by Stormzy. Oh, yeah. I just think, yeah, I just love the energy. Love it. Cool. All right. Well, I I have a Spotify playlist, so I'll probably just toss them both on and you don't have to make the decision. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Coffee or tea or neither? I definitely coffee, black coffee, espresso, the whole Napoli thing. It's in my roots. It's part of the contract I make with life. I have to <laughs> I have to drink espresso and be that really, really snooty coffee dude when people serve up crap espresso. I have to say something like, Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't taste like this in Italy. And my <laughs> wife will say, We well, shouldn't order it, Paul, because you always <laughs> say that. <laughs> And she's right. Of course she's right. I should only ever drink it over there or when I make it. But yeah, espresso. Love it. Nice. All right. And can you think of a time that you like laughs already cried or just something that always gets you when you think about it? That That's safe to share. Put it that way. Yeah. I I love really ranty, sweary, bad language. Right. I just find it funny <laughs> I, when people are so breathtakingly rude. Yeah. They don't really have any kind of awareness that they're being that rude. So like, I, I know that like Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it, I can watch Malcolm Tucker thick of it compilation videos on YouTube, like forever. And I've seen them all a million times. And some of the insults are just off the scale, but they're like really, 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 I find them just so funny. And I I mean, it's like, when I was spending a lot of time working in the States at my last job, 
every time I got on an airplane, I would be just so delighted if they were showing Veep on the plane. Oh, yes. Because like it was made by the same people, but it had the American angle on rudeness and insults. And I just I just think it's funny. I can't. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of Malcolm Tucker and Veep reruns or compilation YouTube videos, which always getting. Have you watched Succession yet? No, I haven't. I've heard so much about it. Because you can look up Brian Cox f off <laughs> and he it's just a compilation of him and i do curse but i just try to not curse here that much what they say in that show too it, they say the most incredible lines that are the most vulgar and it's amazing so really really out of the blue swearing i find really entertaining <laughs> like in kind of semi-formal situations and then somebody just tells somebody where they should be heading love <laughs> it nice all right and the last one which I'll see how hard this one is for you, but who inspires you right now? I mean, it, there's so many people. I mean, like right now, probably the last week or so, I mean, I'm constantly impressed by AAC in the US, like how how she presents her ideas and her constituents and her kind of values and stuff. I just love that. She's just amazing, I think, using digital channels to communicate with the people that she's trying to communicate with so i love that just that authenticity and and passion she sent an she sent a fundraising email recently which was just so brilliant she's basically saying if you if you're on my list you're on a load of other people's lists but let me make a promise to you i'm never gonna like give you fake kind of calls to action or or i try and encourage you to give to me purely out of like made up deadlines and all of this false urgency and things like that and she was just talking about the movement and community of which she's a part of rather than being at the center of or the figurehead of and i just thought it's like mm. really quite inspiring and then i think over the longer term i'm just constantly refreshed and energized by the kind of creativity and passion of youth in the climate movement it's just mm. amazing refreshing to see i follow a uk-based group called green new deal i think they're called and they've got young kids like 15 16 like going out and just doing these really amazing actions with uk politicians and like trying to call them to account or hold them to account on camera and it's just like the bravery and the tenacity of those kids makes me absolutely realize that you know we have got a hope of fixing some of this stuff with their energy yeah oh awesome yeah and aoc i mean she's she is incredible and i got that email and yeah there's always these emails you get when you're you sign up with one democratic candidate basically and you have like a million emails from all of them (laughs) and they're always saying oh donate now or you know the election's over kind of thing and it's like okay come on like or maybe just do better guys you know yeah i don't know (laughs) all right so people want to find you or follow you or even hire you where should they go and what do you want with them to look I'm, i'm kind of in all the usual spaces like Instagram and Twitter, like Twitter is my name, Paul D. Gregorio. So I was lucky to get that. Much the annoyance, I think, of some US electoral commission type guy who's also called Paul D. Gregorio, I think would love to have my Twitter handle, but he can't have it. I've got it. But I also, if I suppose if people are interested in any of the stuff we've talked about today, I run a newsletter, which is semi-frequent. I don't send it to a fixed kind of schedule, but it's all like politics, mobilization, activism, campaigning, fundraising, all with a digital and fundraising slant. And that's one of those tiny newsletter things. I have no idea if that's the right place for it to be, but it's tinynewsletter.com forward slash Paul Gregorio. Cool. 
Awesome. Well, Paul, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we had to connect in this way. So thanks so much for being on More Than Work. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It was quite fun and quite challenging to think through some of those things. So I hope that um, your listeners don't think that you've hired a pup or you've, you've brought on a you brought on a bad participant. I don't think they will. Thank you. Cool, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.